All right, welcome in Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast coming to you on Sundays. A uh, lot to get to today. Excited for this show. Going to take a little bit of a different turn. Some of you guys like the interviews the last couple of weeks, so uh, we will have more of those throughout the course of the off season. Please excuse us based on last week's guest. There is an off season for me because I don't have to travel and be away from my family. It doesn't mean I don't pay attention to college football. It doesn't mean there's not college football news. But for me, not being on the road and having to go to a game on Saturday, be in studio for a show on Mondays, yeah, that's a little bit of an off-season for me. So I'll take it, and I'll enjoy it to the best that I can. Doesn't mean I haven't paid attention to things that are going on, because there's been a lot. We'll get into some coaching changes, and we'll get into a little bit of a, I guess, a metric that I kind of came up with of contending for a national title next year. Who is set up to maybe make that run? Who's close? And maybe who's going backwards? We'll take a look at some of that. I've got some portal news because it kind of goes along with what we're going to talk about from that perspective of what people have returning and maybe what they're trying to add and uh, watch the film on a couple of guys as well. You guys know each and every week brought to you by Wickles Pickles, wickedly delicious. You can find them in your local grocery store. If you don't tell them you want them, tell them, say, Hey, we need some Wickles Pickles. And if you can't get them there, go to wicklespickles.com. Use promo code cube. You can get 15% off C-U-B-E. We always appreciate the support by Wickles and everybody there. So we keep them around. We've got the giant jar here at the house always. And so if you need them, find a way to get them because they are fantastic. Snacks, whatever else it is. All right, Jim Harbaugh out at Michigan. Massive story because he just, number one, he just wins a national championship. First coach to leave after a national title to go to the NFL in the entire AP poll era. That started in 1936, by the way. Now, you've had other coaches leave after a title. Tom Osborne retired from Nebraska in 1997. Schnellenberger went to the USFL. How weird is that to think about? Um, Johnny Majors went from Pitt to Tennessee if you won a title in 76. And old Bernie Beerman, 1941, uh, left Minnesota for an after a national championship. So uh, d- this hasn't happened often. Just a coach leaving after a title in general, specifically a coach leaving for the NFL, that had never happened. So it's wild to think about now that Nick Saban has stepped down, Jim Harbaugh has stepped down. We've got three head coaches that have won a national championship. They're going to be active college football head coaches next year. So we kind of answered that question, talked about that question with Josh Pate last week. Is it going to be harder or easier to win a national title? A lot of people are thinking, oh, man, 12-team playoff. It's going to be so much easier to go get a national championship. I'm just not buying that. And now – when we get into some of these numbers that I've pulled and some of the things that I've taken a look at, I'm going to let you decide. Is it going to be more difficult or is it going to be easier for some of these teams that maybe haven't or have not in a long time to sneak up and go get a national championship? Harbaugh was fantastic. He won 72% of his games. Um, you know, Listen, Jim Harbaugh has the most wins at three different programs in a single season. He has set that record both at Michigan, Stanford, and at San Diego. So he was phenomenal. And what he had done in his first six years, he had no wins against Ohio State, no Big Ten titles. And then obviously the last three, three wins against Ohio State, three Big Ten titles, three college football playoff appearances, and he wins a national championship. So 49 and 23, the first six, and then he goes 40 and three, the last three. Say what you want about how the Connor Stallions deal, whatever it is. But they had got results on the field and kept that team focused this year, maybe as well or better than any team 
I've seen stay laser focused with real distractions in college football. I mean, some others that come to mind, like that 2010 Auburn team. I mean, people were throwing stuff out every single week. Um, you know, you had Charles Robinson camped out at Auburn. Thamel was throwing stuff out. I mean, every single day it felt like somebody had something new that was going to be a bombshell, and that team just stayed locked and loaded. So tough to do those things, but that Michigan group did it. I think hiring Sharon Moore was the right move. I think Sharon Moore's ready. He obviously had multiple opportunities to act as the head coach last year. He's been able to be there with Jim, so he knows this program extremely well. And you technically keep your offensive coordinator, and your offensive line coach. Now, I know he's not going to be able to act as all three, but he's a guy that has done all three of those and has had all three of those roles. And I think that brings value. It brings continuity because he knows how it's supposed to look, how they've wanted it to look. I think he has learned from Jim sort of how to alter play calling, how to alter design, how to alter different things, add and subtract based on who you're playing and who that opponent's going to be. And Shrow Moore, by the way, if you haven't been around him, He's one of the best guys you'll ever meet. He's just an incredible human being. I think this will keep a lot of the continuity together from a roster perspective. Now, I only think it's fair to ask the question, was any of this strategic on the part of Jim Harbaugh delaying this to go to the NFL, which we all essentially knew was going to take place, by trapping some guys on the roster because school has begun. They can't get out right now. We'll find out in the spring probably how real or not real that is. But I think it's a fair question to ask because the timing is a little bit odd when this thing could have been done two, three days after the national championship game if they wanted it done that way. Either way, there's a couple guys who, of course, keep your eyes on Jesse Minter, the defensive coordinator. Keep an eye on your strength coach. Ben Herbert has been excellent for that program. Uh, he's a guy that was at Arkansas for a little while. He does a phenomenal job. Somebody that I know Sharon and the Michigan faithful would want to keep around. But Michigan, a team that's a blue blood, we're going to feel like they're in the hunt for a national championship. So it kind of got me thinking about teams that might be ready to go win a national title this year, because we just talked about Jim Harbaugh, national title, he's out. Um, obviously, now Nick Saban at Alabama is out. It's just wild to think about where some of the programs that we would have just automatically plugged in, and they're going to be gone. So who is kind of ready when you think about winning a national championship? We'll talk about it. Get to some of that. First, I'll tell you about Blue Delta jeans, uh, Blue Delta denim, premium denim. It is the most comfortable pair of jeans you're ever going to put on. They're custom fit for you. So they're yours and only yours. Now, they're also stretchy. They're also breathable. So even in the summer, you're going to be able to wear these jeans and everybody's going to love them. You're going to feel great. Dress them up, dress them down, casual, whatever you want. You can get gift cards. And now they can measure you digitally for a custom pair of jeans from Blue Delta Jeans. So go check out BlueDeltaJeans.com. When you talk to Nick and those guys, tell them you heard about them right here on Cube Show and get the best pair of denim you've ever had. Before we get into some of this national championship talk, because this team is going to be one of those teams that I have in, say, Tier 1 as far as being ready to go win a national title next year, and that's the Texas Longhorns. Listen, we had an episode a couple about a month or so ago, we welcomed in all you Oklahoma and Texas fans. We're glad to have you. Welcome to the SEC. It's going to make my job a little more difficult to get through all the film next year, but we'll figure that out. But there's one thing that we need to discuss and we need to sort of have a little conversation about here before we move forward with this. This deal at BYU last night where you have students that had horns down, you know, the letters across in the front row painted on their chest. And somebody in the Texas administration goes over and, and wants that removed and doesn't want that there. Um, that wasn't even the hand signal of horns down. That was just the letters of it written out. Where are we with this? 
And why have we gotten to this point? The offensive nature that some say that this brings about is honestly mind-boggling to me. How someone can turn their hand upside down and that gesture to a certain fan base is so offensive that we need to have these kind of conversations about it. I have an unfortunate rude awakening warning for Texas fans if this is the case. My hope, my thought, my almost guarantee is that Greg Sankey ain't going for this. This is not something that's going to be catered to. This is not something that asses are going to be padded for. And this is not something that's going to be coddled once you come into the Southeastern Conference. And when you go to Baton Rouge, and when you go to Knoxville, and when you go to Gainesville, just be warned, they ain't going to have this. There is not going to be a tell someone to take a t-shirt off or tell someone to not make that signal. And the coaches can say, it's not what we're about. We don't want to do that. And we have class, this, that, and whatever. And that's fine. And that's great. And they can run their programs that way. And that's good for them. But if you don't think you're going to Columbia, South Carolina, and you're going to hear this or see this, things of this nature, things of very similar nature, you got another thing coming, folks. Like We've got to move past this. This is, excuse my language, the softest shit that I have seen in the history of college athletics, specifically college football. And we've got to get away from it right now. We've got to find a way for this to not be an issue, for not be something that people talk about, and for something that people, well, I guess a fan base is not scared of. Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't understand it. I don't get it. If you guys heard some of the shit that I hear on a regular basis going to games directed at me, directed at people around me, directed at other people that I'm near, I don't know what you guys are going to do. It's going to be a, it's going to be a tough going in all sports. So we got to find a way to move past this. And I, I knew Texas swung a big stick and their power across college athletics was strong and they were going to be able to bring that and they're always going to have that. And that's awesome. And that's wonderful. And that's because of the rich history and tradition that the Texas brand brings. So I'm excited to have it in the Southeastern Conference. But this can't be something we're afraid of. This can't be something that our nerves are rattled about. Is it? Is it? Tell me it's not. Because I've, I've, this is the third or fourth time this offseason we've had to, or I guess really since the football season ended, that we've had to deal with something like this. And it continues to come up. And quite frankly, it's embarrassing. I don't, I don't want the Southeastern Conference to have to tell people that they can't make a hand gesture outside of the middle finger. It's a different deal. But hell, we've seen players do that to fans and not have anything done to them. So if you think Horns Down is going to have something done to them, no, it's not. So this is a fair warning to Texas fans. And unfortunately for you, this will probably act as a, a little bit of an ignition, a little bit of a starter for some other fans in this league. They're going to do even more of it because they know it bothers you. And I think that's the part of here that should be the scariest to Texas fans is you have now given away a portion of your kryptonite to a lot of fans. Why? Why? Why have you done this? Because now they know. And I'm going to tell you, I tell people all the time in this league, we love to hate more than we love to love. And now that you've offered that up to a lot of these fan bases, God bless you going to some of these venues in front of some of these fans because they ain't going to hold back. No, they're not going to hold back. So just get ready for that. Leave in the comments of maybe you can help me understand why this is something that is that drums up so much fear. And, and rattles nerves and rattles cages because I don't understand it. 
I don't care. I mean, I get called a barner and barn guy and all barn radio all the time. I mean, other things like that. Okay, move on. Take my next step. Go do the next segment of radio. Is what it is. It's just, it's, it's odd to me and I need someone to help me with it. I really do. All right, let's move on. Uh, national championship. Who's teed up to maybe go win it next year? Harder, easier? Josh and I talked about that last week. I think it's going to be harder. But I found it interesting that when you went with the top 15 teams in college football, the final top 15 from the college football playoff rankings, the amount of teams that have a, because let's be real, offense is what's driving a lot of the conversation right now, right? So people are going to say, do you have a returning quarterback? Is your offensive coordinator back? Is your head coach back? All right, so let's just look at those. Offensive coordinator, head coach, and quarterback returning. Of the top 15 teams, there are only four teams that have all three of those back. Texas, Georgia, Missouri, Ole Miss. That would be it. If you want to throw in D coordinator to make it a little bit better, Texas, Georgia, Ole Miss. That's it. Texas, Georgia, Ole Miss. Starting quarterback, head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. Now, I understand, and we can asterisk a couple of these, like Ohio State. All right? I understand that the guy who called plays is still the head coach. You know Bill O'Brien's coming in, so that one's a little bit of a weird one. But we're not going off technicalities here. Notre Dame, I understand. That one is a little bit different. All right? Um, Oklahoma. You got your starting quarterback now, who started in the bowl and played a little bit. And your offensive coordinator was on staff. So I realize that's not as big of a change, but Dylan Gabriel's moved on. Jeff Levy's moved on. That's kind of how we're going to count it right now. All right. So what about teams that have two of those? Three teams have two of those back. So you would have Florida State, Oregon. You would have Penn State would have two of those. And then the teams that have one of those would be seven. So Michigan. Alabama, Ohio State, Arizona, LSU, Notre Dame, technically Oklahoma, all right? And the teams with zero would be Washington. The teams with one would dominate that category. Now, if you want to throw on the D.C., then they would have all of those. Uh, seven of those teams would be bringing their defensive coordinator back, but then they wouldn't have all of the others as well. So it kind of goes into this mindset of this thing may be a little bit more open for some other teams than we think, or is it shrinking for a couple of the other teams that are already ahead of the pack? Now, I understand that the transfer portal is going to change a bunch of this. There's going to be a couple freshmen that come in and change a little bit of this as well. But I just think it's interesting to take a look at because we already know three of the teams that were in the college football playoff last year are not going to have the same head coach. And just because you have your quarterback and offensive coordinator returning, it doesn't mean you're going to win a national title. I get it. I understand that. But I do think it's just an interesting way to kind of look at, all right, who's out in front of the pack going into next year? Like, I would have no problem with Texas being on this list. I think Texas is a team that's probably, you know, you look at what they did last year with Sark returning, and yeah, they're probably a team that should be towards the front of that list. It should be towards the top of that list. Uh, what they've done in the portal, I think, puts them even further in that list. Now, they lost some guys going to the NFL. Some big departures, but Amari Nyblack, just like Jatavian Sanders, Isaiah Bond, another big play receiver. You get Silas Bolden from Oregon State, slot receiver that can work in a lot of different ways. Um, Tulia Lully, 
a defensive tackle from Arizona. You lose two of your bigger, batter defensive tackles. You plug him in, he's going to be able to help. Matthew Golden, big-time wide receiver from Houston. Trey Moore, edge rusher from UTSA. They didn't have a ton of twitch off the edge last year. Uh, but now maybe you get a little bit more of that. So they've addressed their needs and more in the portal. I think a team like Georgia that you look at and what they've done through the portal, uh, I think they've attacked it from a wide receiver, defensive lineman, heavy standpoint. You go get a couple of D linemen that you feel pretty good about, and you go get a couple more wide receivers that can come in and help you, even though I think you're still pretty loaded there. Um, so I think, I think they've gone out and said, all right, this is where we need to attack it. This is where we need to be. We know what Ole Miss has done. Ole Miss has added everybody in the portal. But you've added some dynamic game changers at the same time. And I, you get the guy who I thought was going to be the best receiver going into the season last year in the Southeastern Conference. If he's healthy, Juice Wells can be dynamic. Uh, you've added more guys up front on defense. You've gone and added some length in the secondary, which is what you need. And I think we fascinate with quarterback, receiver, even some of the running backs because Judkins was a massive name in the portal. I think he puts Ohio State ahead of the pack when we're just talking about roster and roster strength. Maybe that's one thing we need to do at some point when the portal calms down a little bit is just who are the best rosters returning in college football. But from a coaching quarterback perspective, that's kind of where I wanted to guide this today and then take some of these teams we're talking about and look at where they have gone in the portal in a couple of big moves. Because I think receivers are a little bit easier to find than people think. Tight end, very difficult to find. Running backs, we know the value there. So what about the offensive line and offensive linemen and what that's done and what teams are doing to sort of address that? Because I think a couple of teams have shown, hey, we're willing to go out of our way at that position from that standpoint to be able to make a difference. And I'm not going to even try to get you. I had a guy ask me a question on Twitter the other day to rank the offensive lines in the Southeastern Conference going into this season. Now, we'll do it before the season actually gets here, but I got to get through spring and see some of these guys and talk to some of the coaches, and then I need to see what happens with the portal and everything else that takes place. So there's a lot of different ways to sort of look at exactly how this is going to be and where this is going to be. So you look at the offensive line perspectives of these teams. So who's going out of their way to find a way to make this a priority? Because there are certain teams like Oklahoma, Bill Beatonville and that group lost a ton. Are they going to be able to address that to anywhere the extent that they need to to be close to the same that they were last year? All right, so Ole Miss finally coming around. You guys have heard me talk about the one complaint that I had about what they had been doing in the portal was they were leaving out the offensive line. So you go get a couple kids from Washington. Julius Bulow, uh, Bulow I believe it is, um, started most games at right guard this year, has played both guards. Uh, he's a solid player. I don't think he's a great player. He's not overly physical. He's a good try-hard guy. Lower body, lacks a little bit of strength, but he's got great game experience, and he played on the best offensive line in college football last year. Uh, I think he's got versatility, which is also going to help. So I think he's a good add. I just don't know if he changes the offensive line, if he changes the mindset of the group. Now, Nate Kalepo, who you bring in, he's a guy that can do that. He's a guy that has great finish, great motor, has good power. He can move you. He's got good body control, good balance. He's a, he's a really good collegiate offensive lineman. He is different than a lot of what they have right now. I truly believe that. Uh, I also went and watched Diego Pounds, uh, offensive tackle from North Carolina that they're getting. Physically, he's different than what they have. Uh, a bigger, more athletic tackle than maybe what Ole Miss has, especially don't have many of. I think he has good body control, good change of direction. 
Um, his punch is inconsistent. Diego Pound's going to bear hug you a lot. Plays with his hands a little bit too low. That's pretty normal in today's offensive line film when you watch it because most of these guys are trying to be cool and carry their hands low because they're trying to carry one hand low. They're trying to punch late. He gets a little too tricky with the hands instead of just being consistent and trying to land a good punch because when he gets his hands on you, it's over. He can dominate you, and he can be a guy who really helps. Also, one of the things that concerns me, he's not a big finisher. Uh, so there are some plays that continue. Drake may move around in the pocket. And he's just kind of done, lets this guy run through. He's able to get a pressure on the quarterback. So I would like to see him go a little bit further to the whistle. Sometimes in an up-tempo offense or when your background's in that, that can be a little bit more difficult. Not asked to do a lot in the traditional run game, so he's not great there, but he's not going to be asked to do a ton of that in this offense, or at least not as much as some other offenses. So I don't think that'll be something that works against him. His feet do play behind him just a little bit. So what I mean when I say that is um, he's ready to punch a defender or he's in a position for a defender, but his feet kind of stop at times. And so his feet don't come with the rest of his body when they need to. So he needs to get more flexible in his lower body. Uh, but that's something that uh, Bulow also needs to do as well. So uh, will be a little bit of a common issue with that Ole Miss offensive line. Tennessee goes out and gets the Lance Hurd from LSU. Speaking of getting more flexible in the lower body, something he has to do if he's going to be a great tackle in this league. But please don't discount this as a massive, massive get for Tennessee. This is huge. He individually is huge. He's like 6'8", 340. But you had a guy in Gerald Mincy who, for whatever reason, wanted to be the backup left tackle for a while last year, finally wanted to be the starting right tackle, says he's going to come back, announces how great the Tennessee Collective is, and then for whatever reason now he's out to go play in Kentucky, which he's a good get for Kentucky just because they didn't have a tackle opposite of Marquez Cox. So that throws sort of Kentucky into this mix as well. Um, but Zalance Hurd is a massive human being who can move, who can change direction. He's just a backbender. And his punch is a little bit inconsistent. But if he can work on his lower body flexibility, and keep in mind, in this tempo-based offense, he's not going to be asked to stay engaged as long just based on what they're doing. But this could totally change Tennessee's outlook for this season. I understand I said they didn't have a quarterback returning, but Nico Ayamaleva, of course, played in the bowl game, got to play some last year, and the expectations with him are high. But this solidifies both tackle spots with John Campbell. So you got Zalance Hurd and John Campbell. You got Cooper Mays now back at center. Javante Spragans, for whatever reason, announces this week he's coming back. I thought that was pretty much a known and a given, but it's good to have him back. He's got to cut down on the penalties, but he's a good college football player, plays his ass off, can be fun to watch. It's just the flags have got to get cut down, but that's a ton of experience just that we just rolled off in general. And the better news is when Tennessee got to the second group last year, it was a massive drop-off, almost as big a drop-off as I've seen as anywhere else. So to be able to have guys that can solidify a few of those spots and now potentially make this a strength is really good news for the Vols in that Tennessee offense because they'll be fine at receiver. Brew McCoy now coming back. You hope he can get back to what he was. Tough injury, but hope he can get there. You're fine at tailback. you got some numbers at tight end. So this offense could go if Nico is ready to make it be just that. So another good get there for the Vols. Um, you also look at kind of what Alabama has done, going to get Parker Brailsford from Washington. So Seth McLaughlin goes to Ohio State. I think Seth can be a good football player, by the way. Ohio State having one of the better offseasons in the transfer portal. Seth's just got to get the snaps under control, and he's got to get more consistent with his game. If he can do that, he's a really good football player. 
Um, but Parker Brailsford is excellent. Does he play a little light? Yeah, that's fine. McLaughlin did early in his career. Similar deal there. But he'll have a great strength staff to be able to help add that. He's got an entire offseason to come in and understand what he's going to be going up against against some of these SEC interior defensive linemen. But that's a good gift for Alabama because you look at what you lost in the portal. Proctor, Ferguson, McLaughlin, all out. Latham to the NFL. Uh, Naquil Bertrand comes in from Texas A&M. He hasn't played, so I don't know a ton about him. I don't hear great things from the folks in College Station, but maybe it's a the mindset changes. He shifts. He comes in, and he can play for Scott Huff, who is a great offensive line coach. Um, you know, Arkansas goes and gets Fernando Carmona from San Jose State, another guy that I watched of tight end, actually played tennis in high school too, super athletic, can change direction. He's got good quick feet, just gets overextended a little bit. Uh, I think this, when I watch him, I love the way that he moves. I love how fluid he is. I love how smooth he is for his size. I think it's just a little more understanding of the position. This is going to have to come. He needs more reps and he'll get them because Arkansas's numbers are down there and he's going to be a guy that'll compete for a spot. Um, so you got a couple of guys that are rolling into the Southeastern Conference at this position, and it just makes me kind of wonder. I wanted to go through a few of these guys that I've watched. I wanted to go through some of the film that I kind of took in with a few of these different guys on the offensive line of different SEC schools, but it makes me wonder how far is that position going to go with us deciding who's going to win an SEC championship? So let's look at the same numbers for the SEC if we were to go through it. All right. So if you want all four coming back, Head coach, offense coordinator, defense coordinator, quarterback. You have four teams that are going to have all four. Ole Miss, Georgia is going to have all four. Texas is going to have all four. And then Florida is going to have all four. Does that make a big difference for them? Does it change your opinion? We all know what that schedule is going to be like next year. It's going to be completely ridiculous. But does it change your mind based on what they're going to have returning? Uh, seven have three returning. So when you look at Teams like South Carolina, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky are going to have three coming back. You know, um, those are the teams that are going to be in pretty good shape just from having maybe three of those are going to be back. Um, Alabama has one. It's their quarterback. And then you go to, obviously, you know, what you're going to get at a couple other schools like Oklahoma, Asterix, we talk about that. All right, that's going to be a little bit different. LSU won, but Nussmeyer's played. So, eh, okay. Vandy, they're making some weird changes. Got one, but what was it going to be anyway? A&M, you could probably count quarterback returning with Wigman going down early in the season. He'll be back, but coordinators are going to be different. Head coach is going to be different. Mississippi State's not going to have any. I think that's the only school that's not going to have any returning. Um, so it just kind of makes you wonder, like Auburn with two, head coach and quarterback. All right. Does that make you feel better about it? Still haven't announced a defensive coordinator? I, I don't really know. Um, but it is interesting to just kind of think about if quarterback is massive. We know wide receivers bigger than it's ever been in college football. Both coordinators, head coach, going to be big. Maybe the offensive line makes a bigger difference for where some of these teams are going to be. And once we get a little bit of it laid out, we know exactly what it's going to look like. I'll go through some of the groups, and we'll go tier one, tier two, tier three, and offensive line. But Kind of an early indication, like the teams who I think are going to be in pretty good shape. LSU is going to be in great shape. Uh, a lot of confidence in LSU. A lot of con I still have a lot of confidence in Georgia. I know you lose Van Pram, but you got some experience coming back, and there's a ton of talent there. We just mentioned Tennessee. They're going to be in great shape. Missouri should still be solid. Um, I mean, I, I still think you're going to get your right tackle back, who was 
who's still young and has a boatload of talent. I think that group's going to be okay because a lot's going to stay the same as well. I think they're going to be fine. The Ole Miss group is an interesting one because you do have some experience back and they're not asked to do some of the things that other groups are. Auburn's group could take a step, but I don't think it's going to be one that's going to put them in a position to go win the SEC. Yeah, Connor Lou was fantastic last year. Uh, we'll see what happens with Dylan Wade. Maybe he bumps down, maybe not. Um, I know some of the guys that you go get in the portal, I don't view as difference makers when they step on campus, but it does give Jake Thornton a little bit more to work with with their offensive coordinator there. Um, you know, Oklahoma, like we mentioned, totally different. Texas is going to be in great shape. Uh, that offensive line has almost everybody back. They're going to look really good. I think Kentucky's group could be solid. I still need to see the continuity, and now it looks like you're going to go back and get your former offensive line coach from Alabama and bring him back in, and Yenzer's going to be out. So, But listen, I, I think Eric's a very good offensive line coach. I've said that for a long time. If you looked at what some of the other schools where he was were after he left, specifically South Carolina and then Kentucky, I think that shows you, to me, more than anything else, how good a position coach is. So I think Eric Wolford can coach the offensive line. It's been weird at Alabama. didn't work out for a lot of different reasons. However, I think it's a good get for Kentucky if you hold on to Liam Cohen with what you have coming back, which that would be three, head coach OCDC. And then you have a quarterback that was a five-star coming out that's played a lot of Georgia or a little bit of Georgia that would help. So just kind of an interesting look there on national championship race, maybe even the SEC, kind of what it'll be, where it'll be. I'll continue to go through some other portal guys. Maybe we'll go to defense next week and just kind of take a look at, all right, who's added people that we think are going to change who they are or maybe can replace best what they're losing to the NFL or graduation. Do you even graduate anymore? I feel like kids just play until they don't want to play. So um, might look at a guest next week too. I got a couple that I've been talking to that I kind of want to bring in, but we're trying to get them lined up and see if we can make it work. So a couple portal changes, some coaching changes. Massive coaching changes continuing across the board in the landscape of college football. It's going to be very different next year in so many ways. Now Jim Harbaugh, the reigning national championship head coach, is going to be out for next season. So we'll be back next Sunday with more and another edition of Cube Show. Appreciate you tuning in. Please go subscribe on YouTube. If you're checking this out, hit that like button. If you also are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please subscribe. Five-star rating. Leave some comments. Love to hear the feedback from you guys. Uh, fantastic last week, other than you that were complaining about Josh and said he was terrible. I can't help that. We'll see you next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.